1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Welcome to the Old Time Radio Westerns. I'm your host, Andrew Rines, and let's get into this episode. This episode is going to be Horizons West. Original air date is January 2nd, 1966, and the title is Fort
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The American West. Once it could have been the British, Spanish, or even the Russian West. It became American primarily because of the explorations of two young army officers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Their pioneering journey stands as one of the great achievements in the history of the United States.
2: Sure glad for this fire. Face it, only your back stays wet.
3: Billy, my back's been wet so long, the shirt's about to rot right off it. Actually, wasn't the storm's easing off. I hope so. Do you realize we've been perched on this tangle of logs for almost a week?
4: Captain Lewis. Captain Clark.
3: Sergeant Gas, report. Watch your step, Gas. The tide's in. Yes, sir.
4: Feeling logs shift. What did you find out about the hill behind us, Sergeant? Well, we could go out that way, sir, but too steep to take the baggage and boats with us. Well, then it's out of the question. Yes, sir. Maybe Coulter, Willard, and Channel will find something better. Twenty-four hours they've been gone, sir. That's a good sign. Why is it a good sign, Sergeant? Well, if there was nothing, they'd be back by now. Maybe. Maybe not.
3: Billy, when low tide comes and we can launch a boat, suppose I take four men and explore the
2: north. According to the Indians, there's a good harbor up there named Haley's Bay uh, after a ship captain who stops regularly to trade. Might be a good idea. I'll follow you with the entire outfit as soon as the weather clears enough for us to get out. Hello!
5: Coulter, here!
3: Johnny Coulter, give him a hand, gas. Yes, sir. Easy, Coulter. Gas is on the way. Looks like trouble.
2: Let's hope he's here to tell us Willard and Shannon are making a new camp. We'll soon find out.
5: Over here, you men. Yes, sir. The Indians are holding Willard and Shannon. They need help bad.
0: Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Now, with Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark, listen to Chapter 8, Port on the Columbia. November 14, 1805. The Lewis and Clark Corps of Discovery had moved down the Columbia River, which forms the border between present-day Oregon and Washington. Now they were trapped by a Pacific storm in a precarious, temporary camp at the mouth of the river. Cold, wet, and hungry... They faced rough weather and hostile Indians.
3: At Billy Clark's suggestion, five of the men formed a crew to take us around the point in the longest of the boats, with our expert waterman, Pierre Cruzat, at the tilt. When we left the partial protection of the spit of land which comprised the point, the heavy Pacific surf all but swamped I huddled amidships with my four picked men, George Druyard, Joe and Rube Fields, and Bob Fraser. Cruzat and the others bent their backs together to get us into Haley's Bay, a few miles ahead.
2: No trading ships offshore.
4: I can see the uh, Chinook village there. Uh, Captain Louis. Over there, by those huts. A group of warriors. They've got Willard
3: and Shannon surrounded. Better hurry before they kill them. It was a small congregation of warriors, no more than 30. But to the two men, they must have seemed like an entire tribe. Cruzat angled the boat into shore long enough for me to disembark my four men. As he headed the boat back to sea, we ran toward the village and the Chinook hostiles.
5: Hey, look! Here they come! Our boys!
3: We rushed the surprised, surly-looking warriors leveling our rifles at them. Uh, Despite odds in their favor, the Chinooks were afraid of open warfare. They did nothing when Willard jerked his rifle from the grasp of a warrior or when Shannon recovered his. I gestured at the entire band with my rifle. You miserable thieves, the next one who steals as much as a tin whistle from us is a dead man. Bang, bang, dead, understand? They get the idea, Captain. Most of them speak pidgin English. I'm glad we made it in time. They didn't harm you, did they? Just our dignity, sir. How did they get your rifles in the first place? Last night we camped on a beach a couple of miles to the north. Because the Chinook
4: village was so near, we slept on our guns. But they managed to work them right out from underneath us without waking us. Captain. Let us get out of here before
3: they steal the moccasins off of our feet. <laughs> Willard, you fall in. We're reconnoitering up to Cape Disappointment, maybe a little farther. George, take Shannon, move on ahead and shoot us some supper.
4: Yes, sir. Shannon, let us go.
3: We spent almost a week exploring the coast. It was a big country, cold and forbidding and magnificent. Some of the pines were 12 to 15 feet in diameter. Great waves dashed against the beaches, and it kept on raining. During the entire time, we saw no trading vessels. We returned to find that Billy Clark had managed to leave our emergency camp with men and supplies intact. He had set up a semi-permanent base on fairly high ground. Utilizing the boards from an abandoned Chinook village nearby, the men had thrown up shelters against the continual rain. Sorry you didn't
2: see any traders. Life would be considerably better if we could buy some extra clothes and blankets. Stock of trade goods for the return trip. It certainly would. How's hunting? Skimpy, just a few underfed deer. By the way, the Chinooks tried to steal us blind until I threatened to kill their entire
3: village as though violence is the only language they understand. But we can't have them victimizing us all winter. We need stout quarters. Something with a stockade like Fort Mandan. Billy, you'll have to take a look at the ocean for mapping observations. Why not do it now while I scout around for a new campground?
2: I called for volunteers to accompany me, and ten men responded. Ordway, Pryor, Bratton, Coulter, Weiser, LaBiche, Charbonneau, the Fields Brothers, and York. We went overland and viewed the ocean from the high cliffs. To me it was astonishing to see a huge surf crashing against the jagged rocks below us. The Pacific was a violent, awe inspiring ocean, surely misnamed, and not at all like the Atlantic. We spent a few days gathering data which I would include in my maps of the mouth of the Great River. Then we started back. When we reached the camp, we found a group of crats up Indians who had come to trade. Meriwether was bickering for a beautiful sea otter robe worn by one of the sub-chiefs. I didn't announce my presence while he bargained. Unsuccessfully at first.
3: Forget the white and red bees. Forget the ribbons. Forget the fishers. This is my last offer. My fine gold watch, five dollars in silver, my army officer's dress coat with the gold faces.
2: The clats was unimpressed. Disdainfully, he turned away and caught sight of a belt of blue beads worn by Sacagawea. Excitedly, he pointed to it, took off his robe, offered it to her in exchange for the belt. Sacagawea unfastened the belt and handed it to Meriwether Lewis.
5: Captain Lewis, here. I give you this belt.
3: The the robe he's offering you, is worth a small fortune.
5: The belt is yours. You trade for the robe.
2: Arrowweather quickly made the deal and donned the robe while the sub-chief glided away, eyeing the blue belt, with delight. Then, belatedly, Arrowweather noted my presence. He gestured at a medium-tall Tatsup man who remained aloof during the trading.
3: Billy, I'm glad to see you back. Meet Komowol, chief of our class of neighbors. Komowol, this is Captain Clark.
5: I am honored, Captain Clark.
2: And I, chief. I never saw anything like it. Your brave, turned down Captain Lewis's watch and uniform, coat, Traded that fine robe for blue beads.
5: Blue beads are prized here. Chief beads, my people call them. They are to us like gold is to you.
3: Sacagawea, I appreciate what you did.
5: Your shirts of Elkite have many holes. You need the robe.
3: You should have it. Your beads bought it.
5: Blue beads are not cheap for me. I have a red bead belt. That is better. Uh, if you will excuse me. I, I go to feed the baby,
3: Thanks again, Janie. Uh, Janie? I'm tired of calling her by that long five-syllable name. You like Janie, Zacatea It
5: is good. Uh, now I go to feed the baby.
3: Chief Cormorow thinks we'd be better off camping south of the river.
5: It is higher, healthier ground. You will not be encircled by the unfriendly Chinook nation.
2: Then the Klotzops are friends of the white man, Of some white men.
5: You are friends because you are real chiefs. Not like traders who cheat us and steal our pride.
3: When we go back next spring, we'll report to President Jefferson about that kind of traitor.
5: I will speak of the great white chiefs among other tribes.
3: Come all, you are a good friend. We will think about the South Side. It is good. Now I go. We will meet soon.
5: We will meet
3: again. was a man of character, the only one we've met in the Columbia country who compares with the Peirce of the Shoshones. His warriors are runty, little men, but they
2: certainly can handle those canoes. You know, Billy, I've been wondering why President Jefferson hasn't sent a Navy ship to meet us. Our last contact was the material we sent from Fort Mandan. That was months ago. Maybe he's given us up for dead. Hope not. Have you discussed the site of the new camp with the men? No, why should I should have. Might help Morell. Their goal was the Pacific. Wore themselves out getting to it. And now they'd like to go
3: home, only they can't for another four months. You're right, Billy. They'll all feel better if they have a voice in deciding where we spend that four months. The Sergeant Gass, front and center. Yes, sir. Assemble the men. Tell Janie to feed her baby later.
4: Yes, sir. Janie, sir?
3: Sacagawea.
4: Oh yes, sir. Everybody here that's
5: mountain center.
3: The vote was unanimous to make winter camp on the south side of the river. It was brought out that game and vegetable roots were more plentiful there. Also, the Indians in the south seemed friendlier, as did the weather. But for a time, stormy weather hampered our attempts to establish ourselves on the south shore. Inevitably, the raw days brought illnesses colds, coughs, influenza. Gibson had stomach trouble, Bratton complained of a general debility. Then a lull came in the storm. We were able to cross the river and investigate the south side. Much of it was swampy and wet, but we did find high ground not far from several plots of villages. From the top of a rise, we had a handsome mm-hmm. view of the sea. Billy Clark drafted the plans for the fort, and the men began the cutting of timber on the spot. What do you think of the plans, Meriwether? Eight cabins, each sixteen by
2: sixteen. Mm-hmm. Why eight, Billy? Well, we need one each for working on our scientific notes from the generals. We use another for food storage, and another for partial storage, and Jamie, Charbonneau, and the baby. The other four will be for the men.
3: Two rows of four each facing the small parade ground and
4: Flagstaff.
3: And then the whole surrounded by a stockade. Hey, it's very good, Billy. Much better plan than Fort Mandan. I hope so. Uh, Sergeant! Sergeant
2: Gass! Yes, sir. Front and center, Sergeant. I want Gass
4: to have a look, too.
2: He claims he once was an expert carpenter. He's done a good job building our
4: boots. Sergeant Gass reporting. How's the lumber, Sergeant? finest wood I've ever seen. Why, if we'd had pine like this back home, I'd never have joined the Army.
3: different species of pine, Sergeant.
4: Well, maybe that's it. Sir, you can split those logs perfect every time. With the axe alone, you can make a board ten feet long and two feet wide that stays an inch and a half thick all the way.
2: Then you won't have any trouble doing a job on this.
5: Hmm? Here.
2: Have a look at the
4: plans.
5: Hey, this is a real
4: good series. The stockade sure ought to keep out Indians at night. Or any other time. If we have to, we could defend this it, sir. It's going to be a right nice little fort. If I build it as good as you drew it.
3: Happy to be busy, the men soon cleared the area to be occupied by the fort. Tree stumps were uprooted easily by men used to muscling boats upriver by tow ropes. The work went ahead rapidly, and on Christmas Eve, 1805, the fort was ready for occupancy. We assigned quarters, moved in gear, cut wood for fires, and installed ourselves. On Christmas Day, a roof kept the rain from our heads. No way.
4: We sing pretty good. Oh, not bad. Thanks to George Gruyard, we're having something to eat, too. 16 L. It is tough, stringy ale, but uh, Charbonneau is doing the cooking, so it won't be too bad. Uh, we're also having Roots Cheney done, and uh, he is
2: stewing them in a special way. I wish I could offer a dram to each man. Ah. Wish you could,
3: too, sir. No liquor—the saddest words in the language. That's we nice. drank the last of it July
4: Fourth at the Great Falls. Say, okay, most Indian tribes have some kind of liquor they make from roots or stems or bark. If we ask Chief Coma, will we? Oh no, you don't, Gas. Unless you're
3: used to those native concoctions, they're liable to kill you. Yes, sir.
5: Captain Lewis, Private Barton is sick. He asked for you to make him well.
3: What kind of sickness, Janey?
5: A great weakness. It took much from him to walk to his door and call out. I had to help him back to his blanket. Need
3: my help, Meriwether? You better come along. We went to Bratton's room and examined him. It seemed to take all his strength to stand. And when he tried to walk, he collapsed. Despite this shocking debility, he had very little pain. That localized in the small of the back. We wrapped him in blankets and ordered him to sleep. Then we went outside to the parade ground. Away from the celebration of Christmas to discuss this strange malady. The pain in the back, that could be a rheumatic illness like a lumbago. All his vertebrae felt in place, and there's certainly not enough pain to account for this terrible weakness. If it's not a lumbar complaint, what is it? No fever,
2: no headache, appetite normal, elimination normal. It
3: could be lumbar, I suppose. Something outside our experience. I'm afraid to bleed him is too weak. The back isn't painful enough for a poultice. We'd
2: better confine ourselves to observation for a day or so. Try to determine just what the progress of this disease is. It can't do any harm to make him stay inside and give him the
3: best of our food.
2: I guess we'd better go back and uh, join the men.
5: <laughs> How is he, Captain lewis
3: He'll need rest and food to build up his
2: strength.
5: I will take him food when it is ready.
2: Good. See that he stays warm, Janie.
5: I will.
4: What were you saying about Bratton, sir? Uh,
2: a few days. uh, He'll be all right.
4: After you went to look in on
2: Bratton, sir, uh, we got the word from Charbonneau he's winning the battle with that tough
3: elk beef. But he had to use the last of the sword to make it edible. Last of the salt. Captain, if... me and Weiser and McNeil, we can make salt. If you'll let us go over on the coast near the salt water.
2: All right, I'll go with you. We'll go in the morning. We set up camp and began the work. The process was simple. Seawater was allowed to settle... Then the top was poured off and the remainder boiled until all water had evaporated and only a white crust of salt remained.
4: Captain,
3: here's our first batch. Taste it.
2: Yes, yeah, very good. It'll make tonight's stringy deer taste good.
3: Is it as good as Kentucky
5: salt, sir?
2: It just might be, Willard. Captain, there's Chief Kumawool Wool and some of his men.
5: Captain Clark, good morning. Good
2: morning, Commonwealth. May we offer you a little newly made salt. Thank you. My
5: people do not use it. We go to the south, to the whale. Whale? A big one was driven ashore by a storm. It died. We go to cut our share of blubber. If the Chinooks get there first, there will be nothing for us or anyone else. The blubber is good to eat? It is excellent. Hmm. A delicacy like dog meat. Why not come with us? I'll go back to the
2: fort and get up a party.
5: Then it may be too late, unless you hurry.
2: Well, I'll make haste. Uh, you stay now. I'm going to to eat.
5: No, no, my friend. We eat dried salmon as we go. Goodbye. A
4: whale,
2: huh? That'll be something to see, won't it, Captain? You and uh, Weiser and McNeil stay here until I get back. I'll bring men to relieve you. Then we'll go see the whale. Yes, sir. Now remember, don't trust the Indians. What about Como Wolf tribe? Only if he's with them. When I returned to Fort Clatsop, I was challenged by a guard, Private Fraser, who was in the process of ejecting would be Chinook traders for the night. I answered, got a crisp salute. I went to Meriwether's quarters where he was busily working on his journal. He looked up with a smile. How's the salt maker? Brought back a keg. Boys are making more. Good. What's all this spit and polish discipline outside?
3: Captain Clark, I will remind you that this is the most western of all United States Army posts. It is that. In case you're wondering if I've turned into an O line disciplinarian, the answer is no. We have several more sick men, and morale has deteriorated considerably in the short time you've been gone. And you think the discipline helps? I know it does. We have a guard, three walking posts, sergeant of the guard. We change it at sunrise, or what seems like sunrise in the rain. We even have a bulletin board where we post the order of the day, guard roster, any special instructions.
2: I notice you also put visiting Indians out of the stockade at night. The day after
3: you left, Drew Yar shot ten elk and four deer, fairly meaty ones. Indians who stayed the night left early with all our meat. And that day, you went hungry. Invalids and all. Now, how's Bratton? Well, he's fully recovered, but I can't take the credit. I don't even know what disease he had. Well, at least he's all right. How are the journals coming? I still have uh, botanical and zoological material to correlate. Not to mention the notes on aboriginal cultures.
2: I have to get on with my geography. After I make a trip back to the coast to see if any whale blubber is available...
3: Whale blubber? A
2: whale was washed ashore south of the salt camp. Como Wolf says blubber makes very good eating.
5: Captain Clark, you are back.
2: Janie, how are you?
5: I was going to ask to go to the salt camp and bring back salt.
2: I brought some. In the morning, I'm taking a detail out again to get the flesh of a whale for food.
5: A whale? A big fish? Yes. Oh,
2: let me go with you. Uh, you're helping here with the
3: sick men.
5: I've never seen the big ocean. I've never seen a whale. Take
3: her along with you, Billy.
2: My party to the coast included Sacagawea, Charbonneau, Bratton, Werner, and Shannon. At the salt camp, we left the latter three and took Willard, Weiser, and McNeil with us to view the whale.
5: There is nothing left, only an arch of bones.
2: She was right. Chinooks and a related tribe, the Killamucks have left nothing but bones. I managed to trade them out of 300 pounds of the blubber so that we would not return empty-handed to Fort Prassard. As it was, we very nearly left a dead man behind. A Killamock warrior coveted McNeil's jacket. And when McNeil would not sell it, the Killamook lured McNeil into his tent on the pretext of giving him a special Indian food. Then we heard a Chinook damsel scream.
5: <coughs> Captain,
2: trouble! McNeil, he went
5: into the tent. Come on, Willard!
2: The Killamook was about to stab McNeil on the back when we rushed in. I knocked the man down. With great agility, he rolled to his feet, ran out the rear, and disappeared into the nearby forest. We headed back to Fort Clatsop with the blubber and more salt from the camp. A good part of the way, the other men ragged McNeil for being off his guard.
3: The captain will tell you, around the Kilimux and the Chinooks, a stupid man is a dead man.
2: Captain will tell you, everybody in this detail needs to be more alert. See that creek over there, Janie?
5: There, Captain Clark? Yes,
2: the little one. I hereby name it McNeil's Folly. (laughs) At Fort Clatsop, our lives settled into the winter routine. Of course, Meriwether and I used every minute to organize the information we'd collected into reports for President Jefferson. We wondered why no trading ships had put in an appearance. We spoke about it to our one trusted Indian friend,
3: Coma Wolf. The chief named DeLasherwilt told me a ship under Captain Ewing was due. DeLasherwilt also said
5: one eyed Skelly was due soon. No? I believe he did. DeLasherwilt talks to be talking. My friends, I do not like to tell you, but you missed the only ship. Captain Hill and the Lydia from Boston. Mr. When? While you were building the fort. The Chinooks were angry. They told Captain Hill you had been here but left. My friends, I did not know this until it was too late. The men from the Sol camp are back. Private Barton is sick again. They carried him all the way.
3: I examined Bratton and found the same baffling condition that had existed before. The mild pain in the back, the weakness which had prevented him from walking. You say he ate well and he's sleepy. That's good. No matter how much or how little he eats, it makes no difference in his condition. All we can do is hope that he pulls out of it again. That's right. If you'll stop that
2: pacing and come over here, you can have a look at the master map of the trip. St. Louis to the mouth of the Columbia. Take a look at the upper Missouri. Of course, we had no choice with no horses at the time, but we did cover a lot of unnecessary miles by staying with the river too long.
3: We can save a couple of months going home. We'll use horses from Traveler's Rest to the Great Falls. Just look at all that land.
2: Property of the United States of America.
3: Winter progressed into a dismal, cold, wet spring. And we pushed preparations for our return, beginning with the trip up the Columbia. We made clothing from elk skins. And as our day of departure drew nearer, we turned to the problem of the boats. Plainly, some of them were unseaworthy and would have to be replaced. Sergeant Pryor managed to acquire one of the large coastal canoes from the Clatsops by trading my gold trim officer's coat for it, but we needed
4: one more. Captain Clark, look at that canoe resting against the log near the water. You suppose some Indian forgot it? You know better than that, Sergeant. But we need a canoe. Why not borrow it for a few months? George, that's stealing. The Indians
3: stole from us, Captain. Remember the day we went hungry? Because they stole all the game, I shot. He shop?
2: has a point, Merriweather. The Chinook canoe, and they were the ones who
3: sent away that trading ship. All right, Sergeant, go ahead and load it.
4: Oh, with pleasure, sir.
3: In our need, we stole an Indian canoe and justified it by telling ourselves that one bad turn deserves another. However, without saying anything to the others, I left my five silver dollars beside the log. At last, the boats were loaded. We carried the sick Bratton to a boat, then looked on Fort Clatsop with a bit of ceremonial attention. If you're ready, Captain Clark. Corps!
5: Stand by!
2: Attention! With the authority vested in us, we hereby decommission Fort Clatsop as an active post in the United States Army. Given under our hand this 23rd day of March, 1806. Signed, Meriwether Lewis, Captain, United States Infantry, and William Clark... Captain Corps of Discovery.
0: You have been listening to Horizons West, the continued story of the Lewis and Clark Expedition. Chapter 8, Fort on the Columbia starred Harry Bartell as Meriwether Lewis and John Anderson as William Clark. Featured in the cast were Carl Swenson, Helen Gerald, Bill Quinn, Ben Cooper, and Dal McKinnon. Our story was written by Carl A. and William Tunberg and directed by William Lally. Sound patterns by Gene Twombly. Michael Rye speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.